Good evening. We're happy to um, make this presentation this, tonight. We want to um, celebrate this day, for today is April 6th, and it's a special day for members of the Restoration. It is first and foremost a day recognized by four sacred calendars, including the Hebrew, Sacred Round, Venus, and Mercury, as the day of our Savior Jesus Christ's birth. While others may propose his birth around the time of tertiary, which is mid to late September, I choose not to take up this debate at this time. It will, it will distract from our real discussion we wish to present tonight. In remembrance of the deep love I have for him, I rejoice in his birthday, even whenever it was, and praise him for his infinite sacrifice on behalf of each of us. I am grateful to our Father in heaven, for as the scriptures testify, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I also want to um, bear my testimony of my, the love that I have for my Savior. Yeah, it is with great reverence I rejoice in the day that he was born and um, love him and want everything I can do in this life to be in remembrance of him. April 6th is also the day of the organization of the Church of Christ by Joseph Smith in 1830. In Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, verse 1, it reads, The rise and fall of the Church of Christ in these latter days begin being 1,830 years since the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the flesh. It being regularly organized and established agreeable to the laws of our country by the will and commandments of God in the fourth month on the sixth day of the month, which is called April. Because the teachings of Joseph are so intertwined with the gaining and understanding and even a relationship with our Lord, we would like to begin tonight's discussion with Joseph's first vision. What do we learn from this account of the first vision? As most of you know, there are as many as four first-hand accounts of the first vision and at least that many second-hand descriptions. For that reason, we decided to focus on the only description written in Joseph's own hand found in Joseph Smith history, summer of 1832, pages 1 to 3. This is the earliest and most personal account and the only one that is given in Joseph Smith's own handwriting. It must also be noted in this version, Joseph does not ask what church to join. He is simply seeking a remission of his own sins. However, after asking somebody who I thought would know why the various differences, namely Phil, his response was this, and I quote, First, the first account we have are notes he made after the experience approximately at age 14. It would take an adult a month of reflection to adequately mine all the data and adequately put into words. Who made the requirement that Joseph's written account at 14 must be unabridged? Regardless of age, the closer he was to the event, his chief recollection would be the glory that he experienced. 
intense enough to seemingly make the elements of his body melt. This aspect would not be intuitive to one who had not experienced a similar level of glory. His lens at the time of that writing would have been his primary object in praying, finding out his standing before God as part of his repentance experience. One aspect of that process was to know which Christian sect God would have him join. As with most questions Joseph took to the Lord, there was a lot more data to mine than just the answer to the original question. In later accounts, we ha- he had different lenses through which he viewed the event and different audiences which affected the data that he mined from this experience. However, like I said, we're going to go over this first this account that he wrote by himself at a young age. At about the age of 12 years, my mind becomes seriously impressed with regard to all important concerns for the welfare of my immortal soul, which led me to searching the scriptures, believing as I was taught that they contained the word of God. Joseph experienced faith as a young man or a young boy, which is not um, surprising. He had already developed that. I pondered many things in my heart concerning the situation of the world, of mankind, the contentions and divisions, the wickedness and abomination, and the darkness which pervaded the minds of mankind. My mind became exceedingly distressed, for I became convicted of my sins by searching the scriptures that that mankind did not come unto the Lord, but that they had apostatized from the true and living faith. And there was no society or denomination that is built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ as recorded in the New Testament. And I felt to mourn for my own sins and for the sins of the world. We see here that Joseph is experiencing a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Following the path of the doctrine of Christ without even knowing it. For I learned in the scriptures that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he was no respecter of persons, for he was God. For I looked upon the sun, the glorious luminary of the earth, and also the moon rolling in their majesty through heavens, and also the stars shining in their courses, and the earth also upon which I stood, and the beast of the field, and the fowls of the heaven, and the fish of the waters, and also man walking forth upon the face of the earth in majesty and in the strength of beauty whose power and intelligence in governing the things which are so exceedingly great and marvelous even in the likeness of him who created them doesn't this sound a bit like alma testifying to korihor about all things to note there is a god i'm moving on And when I considered upon these things, my heart exclaimed, Well hath the wise man said, that it is a fool that saith in his heart there is no God. My heart exclaimed, All these bear record, or excuse me, all these bear testimony and bespeak of an omnipotent and omnipresent power, a being who maketh laws and decreeth and bindeth all things in their bounds, who filleth eternity who was and is and will be from all eternity to eternity. And when I considered all these things and that being seeketh such to worship him 
as worship him in spirit and in truth. Therefore, I cried unto the Lord for mercy. This is where Joseph is experienced the next step in the doctrine of Christ. That is of crying out in mighty prayer, as did other prophets of old. This makes me think about Enos as he exclaimed, And my soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my Maker, and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication for mine own soul. We can see why, we can understand why Joseph's recollection of this experience would be the glory that he experienced, intense enough to seemingly make the elements of his body melt. For there was none else whom I could go, and to obtain mercy, the Lord heard my cry in the wilderness. And while in the attitude of calling upon the Lord in the sixteenth year of my age, this is where Joseph receives a baptism of fire, which follows the broken heart and contrite spirit of one honest seeker of the truth. Joseph relates, A pillar of fire, a light above the brightness of the sun at noonday, came down from above and rested upon me, and I was filled with the Spirit of God, and the Lord opened the heavens upon me, and I saw the Lord. And he spake unto me, saying, Joseph, my son, thy sins are forgiven thee. Go thy way, walk in my statutes, and keep my commandments. Behold, I am the Lord of glory. I was crucified for the world, that all those who believe on my name may have eternal life. Behold, the world lieth in sin, and at this time, and none doeth good, no, not one. They have turned aside from the gospel, and keep not my commandments. They draw near to me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And my anger is kindling against the inhabitants of the earth, to visit them according to their ungodliness, and to bring to pass that which hath been spoken by the mouth of the prophets and apostles. Behold, and lo, I come quickly, as it is written of me in the cloud, clothed in the glory of my Father. My soul was filled with love, and for many days I could rejoice with great joy, and the Lord was with me, but could find none that would believe the heavenly vision. Nevertheless, I pondered these things in my heart. Joseph reports that he continued repenting daily constantly seeking to have a broken heart and contrite spirit. And he goes on to say, But after many days I fell into transgressions and sinned in many things which brought a wound upon my soul, and there were many things which transpired that cannot be written. And my father's family have suffered many persecutions and afflictions. It came to pass when I was seventeen years of age, I called again upon the Lord, and he showed unto me a heavenly vision, for behold, an angel of the Lord came and stood before me, and it was by night, and he called me by name, and he said, The Lord had forgiven my sins. We learn from Joseph's example that although we may have a baptism of fire, receive visions, and heavenly messengers, we must continue daily to seek a broken heart and contrite spirit. Second Corinthians Chapter 7, verse 10 says, 
that the contrite spirit, by definition, is godly sorrow that worketh repentance. We know that those who have a broken heart and contrite spirit are willing to do anything and everything that God asks of them without, without resentment or resistance. It has now been 191 years since the Church of Christ was officially organized on April 6, 1830 in the home of Peter Whitmer. Joseph Smith, his two brothers Hiram and Samuel, Oliver Cowdery, David and Peter Whitmer comprised the first six members. The record also states that many other believers were present, possibly as many as 50 others. There were, of course, many events that led up to the organization of the church, as we read beginning in Doctrine and Covenants section 20. Verse 1 and 2 read, the, ride of, the rise of the church of Christ in these last days being 1,830 years since the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the flesh, it being regularly organized and established agreeable to the laws of our country by the will and the commandments of God in the fourth month and on the sixth day of the month, which is called April. Which commandments were given to Joseph Smith, Jr., who was called of God and ordained an apostle of Jesus Christ to be the first elder of this church. Skipping to verse 8 and 9. And gave him power from on high by the means which were before prepared to translate the Book of Mormon, which contains a record of the fallen people and the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles and to the Jews also. We're then going to skip to verse 11, uh, 11 and 16, 11 to 16. And let's see. Proving to the world that the Holy Scriptures are true that God does inspire men and call them to his holy work in this age and generation, as well as in generations of old, thereby showing that he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Therefore, having so great witnesses by them, shall the world be judged, even as many as shall hereafter come to the knowledge of this work. And those who receive it in faith and work righteousness shall receive a crown of eternal life. But those who harden their hearts in unbelief and reject it, it shall turn to their own condemnation. For the Lord God has spoken it, and we the elders of the church have heard and bear witness to the words of the glorious majesty on high, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then we'll skip to... Um, Verse 37, and again by way of commandment to the church concerning the manner of baptism, all those who humble themselves before God and desire to be baptized and come forth with broken hearts and contrite spirits and witness before the church that they have truly repented of all their sins and are willing to take upon them the name of Jesus Christ, having a determination to serve him to the end and truly manifest by their works that they have received of the Spirit of Christ unto the remission of their sins, shall be received by baptism into his church. 
On this day of April 6th, Joseph taught the revelation he had just received. We know this as Doctrine and Covenants, section 21. Beginning with verse 1, we read, Behold, there shall be a record kept among you, and in it thou shalt be called a seer, a translator, a prophet, an apostle of Jesus Christ, an elder of the church, through the will of God the Father, and the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ. Being inspired of the Holy Ghost to lay the foundation thereof, and to build it up unto the most holy faith, which church was organized and established in the year of your Lord, 1830, in the fourth month, and in the sixth day of the month, which is called April. Wherefore, meaning the church, thou shalt give heed unto all his words and commandments, which he shall give unto you as he receiveth them, walking in all holiness before me. For his word ye shall receive as if from mine own mouth, in all patience and faith. For by doing these things, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Yea, and the Lord God will disperse the powers of darkness from before you, and cause the heavens to shake for your good and his name's sake. I want you to pay attention to verse 7. It's very important. For thus saith the Lord God, Him have I inspired to move the cause of Zion in mighty power for good, and his diligence I know, and his prayers have have I heard. Yea, his weeping for Zion I have seen, and I will cause that he shall mourn her no longer, for his days of rejoicing are come unto the remission of his sins and the manifestations of my blessings upon his works. Then skipping clear to, um, well, no, this I guess this is verse 9. For behold, I will bless all those who labor in my vineyard with a mighty blessing, And they shall believe on his words, which are given him through me by the Comforter, which manifesteth that Jesus was crucified by sinful man for the sins of the world, yea, for the remission of sins unto the contrite heart. 191 years have passed since this revelation was given, and there are three questions that arise. What happened? Where are we now? And where do we go from here? The first two have been addressed many times in our Zoom classes. So tonight we will address the third question, where do we go from here? The example set by Joseph Smith in coming to the Lord is our first step. He demonstrated coming to the straight and narrow path by first recognizing the need for repentance. This repentance precipitated an act of faith, followed by a baptism of fire, and eventually the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Intuitively, Joseph experienced the steps contained in the doctrine of Christ, later confirmed as he asked questions during the translation of the gold plates. These gifts of the Spirit led to his entire life of commitment in doing and saying what the Lord told him to do. From the first vision to receiving the power of the priesthood to baptize and eventually the higher priesthood. So where do we go to from here? Verse 9 of section 21 bears repeating, For behold, I will bless all those who labor in my vineyard with a mighty blessing, and they shall believe on his words, which are given him through me by the Comforter, which manifesteth that Jesus was crucified by sinful men for the sins of the world, yea, for the remission of sins unto the contrite heart. I want to bear testimony 
that I know that Joseph was a true prophet and that he will return and continue his mission. I want to share an experience I had. Bob and I were in Palmyra visiting a cousin of mine who was serving a mission there with her husband. They took one day and showed us the typical uh, visitor sites there, the, the Smith Farm, the Sacred Grove. And part of what they do is always have people that let the people go into the grove, find a place by themselves and pray and hopefully receive a spiritual experience. <clears throat> For me, however, I found the grove to be rather distracting. It was rather noisy with all the insects um, and I, I couldn't get the spirit with me. So we left. I was rather depressed and discouraged because, you know, I would have liked to have an experience. But our next stop was the Hill Camorra. We drove to the top where there is a parking place and a picnic table or two available for, for others to have a picnic lunch. Of course, they don't know where exactly the plates were buried, so the whole hill is a memorial. We found a picnic, um, place to picnic, and sandwiches were being passed out. And just as I was about ready to bite into my sandwich, I had what I have come to recognize for myself as the Holy Ghost to bear witness that um, the sacred sites that we had been to and everything we could see from the top of Camorra, the valley, that this was a sacred area. And indeed, these events that we have learned about are were sacred and true and that they really did happen. This witness came as Elijah describes, just a, a whisper. And for me, it was so profound. It hit me in my head, went to my heart, and taught me a profound truth that this area was a sacred place, that Joseph did receive the gold plates, that they were translated into what we now have as the Book of Mormon, that the grove, which was distracting to me at the first was indeed the place where Joseph went and received a vision and his questions were answered. I love him. I'm grateful that I have been blessed to have that experience, but grateful that he is so much a part of my life. And secondly, I'm grateful that the Savior was willing to open the heavens again and that Joseph was worthy enough to act as his servant and his messenger in declaring these truths to us in these days. And this I say in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, uh, today is really a special day. 
and um, it's a it's a a true gift to be able to. Uh... Okay, so what I want to share with you today is uh, the idea that that once we have our baptism of fire, as servants of the Lord, we are given some very special blessings. I'd like to start by just reading uh, quickly a part of 2 Nephi 31.13. So if I could have everybody please turn there. We're just going to read an excerpt out of this verse. Okay, verse 13, but I'm going to start down a little bit further. We are promised here in this verse, Then can you speak with the tongue of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel. I'd like to explore speaking with the tongue of angels, and more specifically, the confidence that the Lord's servants gain once they've had their baptism of fire. The baptism of fire and Holy Ghost has been described as having an increase in spiritual understanding in the order of magnitude of a hundred times. This can be compared perhaps to going from hope and faith to knowledge. We all have different levels of knowledge, but knowledge that comes with the first comforter gives us the courage to act with boldness according to that to our expanded knowledge. And we can see this confidence and boldness played out by those we read about in the scriptures. I think the most dramatic example is the change with the Apostle Peter. Prior to his baptism, he was, we can see, uh, excuse me, prior to his baptism of fire, we can see his enthusiasm, but not his confidence. He's willing to jump out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus, but he quickly fears and begins to sink and has to be rescued. During the night, that faithful night, when the Savior was arrested, we all know the story of Peter denying that he even knew Jesus. This is not the act of a person who has had their first comforter. Yet, just a few weeks later, after the day of Pentecost, after Peter has had his baptism of fire and Holy Ghost, Peter boldly declares his faith in Jesus to the Jewish leadership in Acts chapter 4 after he heals the paralytic man. If we could turn to Acts chapter 4, please. I'd like to read a a fair amount of this passage because it really gives us a sense of the change that has come over Peter um, since his baptism of fire. Starting with verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, this is Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, and being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in the hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander 
And as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So this is quite a crowd of the high mucky mucks. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, and by what means he was made whole, be it none unto you all and all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone that was set of naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, according to them, unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside, of the, and when they had commanded them, Peter and John, to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all of them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they may speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them back in and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken to you, more than to, unto God judge ye. The boldness of Peter is the sign that he indeed has been touched by the fire of the Lord. Yet Peter is not overbearing. He speaks with confidence, knowing the truth. And in the moment, the Holy Spirit guides his words as he is now speaking with the tongue of angels. There is a similar story given of Enoch when he was first called to the Lord. He too lacked the confidence to speak boldly. We read of, of this in JST Genesis, which is Moses in the Pearl of Great Price, chapter 6. I'm going to jump over to Moses. And then down to chapter 6. And I'm going to start with uh, verse 31. Okay, and then I'm, I'm basically starting in the middle of this verse as well. But I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Why is it that you have found, this is Enoch speaking, why is it you have found favor in thy sight? And, but I am just a lad, and all the people hate me, for I am slow of speech. Wherefore, am I thy servant? Then the Lord gave Enoch a great promise, starting in verse 33. Excuse me, 32. 
So I've been jumping back and forth between the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis and this, and then the verses are like one verse off. So I apologize. And the Lord said unto Enoch, go forth and do as I have commanded thee, and no man shall pierce thee. Open thy mouth and it shall be filled. And I will give thee utterance for all flesh is in my hands and I will do as seemeth me good. Now, I don't know about, uh, about you, but I interpret this verse to mean open your mouth and you will be able to speak by the tongue of angels, just as the Lord promised Nephi. Say unto this people, choose you this day to serve the Lord God who made you. Behold, my spirit is upon you. Wherefore, all thy words will I justify and the mountains shall flee before you and the river shall turn from their course. And thou shalt abide in me, and I in you. Therefore, walk with me. And Enoch went forth with confidence, because, as we can see from the previous verse, he has been given the fullness of the priesthood, which means he has already had his baptism of fire and Holy Ghost. Verse 37 continues, And it came to pass that Enoch went forth in the land among the people, standing upon the hills and the high places, and cried with a loud voice, testifying against their works. And all men were offended because of him. Now, I wonder, why would they be offended? Would it be because he didn't withhold the truth? He basically spoke boldly of their sins. And we all are, get a little bit offended when people tell us the truth about ourselves, when we don't want to hear it because we're proud. And they came forth to hear him upon the high places, saying unto the tent keepers, Tarry ye here and keep the tents while we go yonder to behold the seer. For he prophesieth, and there is a strange thing in the land. A wild man hath come among us. And it came to pass that when they heard him, no man laid hands on him, for fear came on all that heard him, for he walked with God. And as Enoch spake forth the words of God, the people trembled and could not stand in his presence. I wonder, um, would, would we like the, uh, or would, be, would, be we, would we be willing to accept the moniker of wild man? For surely many, I think, will think we are crazy as we go forth. Yet once uh, we are given the power of God, like Peter and Enoch, we too will be able to speak with the tongue of angels. And those we teach will not be able to deny the truth of what we say. You know, it's interesting, um, this concept of not being able to deny the truth of what we say. It's like having the gift that the Lord gives those who can teach with the power of God unto the convincing of men. We, we usually refer to that as the convincing power. And like the Pharisees uh, with Peter and John, they couldn't deny the miracle that had occurred. And yet, strangely enough, they still fought against it. And I can imagine that we will experience similar things. Well, again, the power of God from the baptism of fire can change a man or woman who has little confidence into one who is able to speak boldly, as Moses did in front of Pharaoh. 
Let's uh, let's turn to Exodus chapter three and read of Moses's experience. Okay, we're going to start with verse 10 and 11 and then jump down to 30. Now, this is the Lord talking to Moses. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then in verse 30, And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised and stammering lips and slow of speech. And how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Later we learn that Moses' boldness before Pharaoh when he commands Pharaoh to release the people. Let's jump over to Exodus 5 and read verse 1 and 2. And after Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. But then, as we all know the story and how it turns out, we know that many mighty miracles were uh, performed by Moses through by the Lord through Moses and in the end Pharaoh relented and let the people go I've often wondered if you know if I could just imagine being asked by the Lord to uh, do something similar for example maybe the Lord would ask to go before the president of the United States and say my people will no longer pay taxes to you for God commands it I'm guessing you'd receive the same sort of response that Pharaoh gave Moses. <laughs> I testify to all of us that we too will face similar challenges as we prepare to leave and participate in the latter day Exodus. And we also need to have the confidence in the Lord as Moses did so we can help lead the people to Zion. So what are the lengths that uh, we are willing to go? Um, Let's read the commitment that Isaiah gave to the Lord when he was taken to the seventh heaven. Um, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 and 8 through 13. But I'm going to read the version that is Abraham Gileadi's translation. It's a little clearer, it's easier to understand, uh, and it's using language that is easier to follow. In verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw my Lord seated on a throne, highly exalted, the skirt of his robe filling the sanctuary. Sarah stood by him overhead, each having six wings. With two, they would veil their presence, the two, they conceal their location, and with two, fly about. And they called out one to another and said, Most holy is, the, is Jehovah of hosts. The consummation of all earth is his glory. Now, I can imagine this is a pretty impressive scene with Isaiah essentially in the heavenly temple in the seventh heaven. 
Now let's jump down to verse 8. And when I heard the voice of my Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I replied, this is Isaiah, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to these people, Go on hearing, but not understanding. Go on seeing, but not perceiving. Make the heart of these people grow fat, dull their ears and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and repent and be healed. And I replied, for how long, my Lord? And he said, until the cities lie desolate and without inhabitant, the houses without a man, the land ravaged to ruin. For Jehovah will drive men away, and great shall be the exodus from the centers of the land. And while yet a tenth of the people remain in it or return, they shall be burned. But like the terebinth or the oak, when it is felled, whose stump remains alive, so shall the holy offspring be that is left standing. You know, um, this would be a fairly difficult mission to accept. Part of, part of the commitment that Isaiah gave when he said, send me, was no light promise. What is sadder for Isaiah is that he is told by the Lord that no one will listen to him. And he essentially is sent just to be a witness of the destruction of Israel. As part of that witness, he takes up the garments of a slave, basically donning a loincloth so that he's almost naked. And then Isaiah preaches for three years, dressed in the garb of a slave, to warn the people of the slavery they are going to have to endure unless they repent. I hope all of us can see that the Lord is not going to let us off very easy either. Although I hope that slaves in our day get to wear more clothes, especially today because it snowed in Utah. But... Many times the tasks that the Lord asks us to do are not easy. It's not like just doing home teaching and showing up and giving a lesson at somebody's home. Many times it will be a lot more difficult. Although Nephi always seems to have been bold and had great confidence, I'm sure that ascending to the high mount gave him even more strength to endure the challenges that he would face over the many years of journeying in the wilderness, building a ship, building a city and a temple, and so forth. So I'm suggesting that these gifts of the Spirit can also provide us with endurance. And if you look close enough, most of those spoken of in the scriptures have had similar transition from fear to confidence as the fire burned out of their flaws and they became new powerful servants of the God. I don't know what your experience has been so far, but when I know the truth of a matter, I am much more confident in sharing that truth with others. I know that the part of the covenant in the Book of Mormon is to receive personal revelation from the Lord. If I keep my part of the covenant and commit to him my broken heart and contrite spirit, each day, I try to renew that covenant by saying to the Lord, today, help me to live by every word that you give me, and I'll do my very best to listen, 
and to say and to do what you want me to do. I know that when I'm commanded or have the Lord's permission, then anything I say by his word will come to pass. And my confidence in the outcome is sure. And I too can speak boldly. I truly believe that the laborers are given command to reclaim the vineyard, as we read in section 101, 55 through 58. Now, we've read this numerous times before, but I'd like to just reiterate it one more time. So I'm going to jump over to section 101 and start with verse 55. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants. Now, this is after the tower and the hedge and what have you have previously fallen and the enemies have taken over. So this is the reclaiming. This is what our part is to play in this whole drama. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, go and gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of mine house, which are my warriors, my young men, and they that are of middle age also, all my servants who are the strength of mine house, say those only who have appointed to tarry. And go ye straightway into the land of my vineyard, and redeem my vineyard, for it is mine. I have bought it with money. Therefore get ye straightway unto my land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their towers, scatter their watchmen. All of these Things require confidence and being bold. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. In conclusion, I'd like to reread the scripture that Kathy quoted uh, in Doctrine and Covenants section uh, 21, verse 19 which is the theme of our talk tonight. For behold, I will bless all those who labor in my vineyard. Now this phrase, I will bless all of those in my vineyard with a mighty blessing, and they shall believe on his words, and they are given through me by the Comforter. This promise that we will be blessed with a mighty blessing as we labor in the vineyard, I think is a really powerful, wonderful promise that the Lord is going to give us. And uh, the last phrase of this verse is really powerful because how do we have this mighty blessing? How are we entitled to be blessed? And the Lord says, yea, for the remission of sins unto the contrite heart. I think that um, in order for us to be successful in what the Lord will want us to do to help establish Zion, we have to have a commitment to living the covenant of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I know that when we are humble, when we are listening to the, vo the voice of the Lord, that it is a powerful way 
to gain understanding from the Lord, because I believe he really is willing to give us whatever information or power is necessary so that we may move forward. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.